friends, welcome. I'm Andrew Hicks, and you're listening to the Text and Context Podcast. Hey, Text and Context listeners. I just wanted to make you aware of some free resources that are available for you if this series of classes on Mark has particularly sparked your interest. So you can head over to my website, and I have an article that gives you all sorts of great free resources, links where you can follow and study Mark on your own time. So head on over to textandcontext.com forward slash Mark. Remember, it's text and context without ease. So that would be txt and contxt.com forward slash Mark. And there's all sorts of great resources there for you to come through, including a link to the PowerPoint that I've been using as I teach this class. So if you're only listening to this podcast and you're not actually present on Sunday morning in Bible class, then you can have access to this PowerPoint. Or if you are present, but you just want to reference the PowerPoint later, again, there's a link to that PowerPoint there, as well as a couple of book recommendations in case you really want to go for a deep dive into the Gospel of Mark. Either way, thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast. I'm a talker. Okay. Hey, Rosemary, will you grab the door on your way out, please? Thank you. All right. Um, let's see. John Eason isn't in this room, is he? Good. Um, so, yeah, we got this kind of going. I got a couple of thank you cards for Billy, Hope House, and John. Several people who've helped kind of put this together. So, uh, I can... I'll tell you, I'll pass those around. Hannah, you get to start. And then... Help it pass around. And just just sign those, please. And let's thank them for helping us put this together because I think it looks great. And I didn't expect it to be done this fast. Like, I walked in Thursday and I was like, oh, it's finished. And then got to decorating this weekend. It's, it's fancy. Billy and the Hope House girls. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They got after it. Yeah, after a while, I know I've got what he needs to hand him. I bet. Teamwork. Absolutely. Fantastic. All right. Well, let's get into Mark. I'm not going to waste no more time. Uh, anybody want to pray for us this morning? Anybody feel led to pray? I need some prayers. You need some prayers? Okay. Okay. Sure. David, why don't you pray for us since you already know the details? Dearly Father, we thank you for this day and all the blessings in it. We thank you for our new surroundings and we just pray mm-hmm. that we can use them for your to, to uh, follow your will and yeah. to create uh, build your kingdom. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the words that are going to be spoken. We just pray that our hearts and minds are focused on learning more about your will for us. Thank you for Robin and we just pray your blessing on her as she struggles with some work issues and also her upcoming travel. We just pray that you'll bless her and keep her safe. It's Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's keep moving. So we're in we're gonna be in Mark 1, 29 through 34. Anybody want to read that for us? Get us started. David can't do it, he's already prayed. And he's coughing. Oh, you will? Go for it. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon. 
Yeah, yeah. and uh, also <laughs> as soon as. As soon as, yep. yeah. Yep. But he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought him to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door. Man, that must have been a big crowd. <laughs> and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Of course. All right, so I have notes that I'll, I'll filter through, but right off the bat, let's just see. You're learning how to read Mark really well, and you're already seeing great things. So you've already pointed out the immediately's. Yeah, as soon as, immediately, and then um, told him about her immediately, as opposed to telling about her not immediately. I don't know. Just <laughs> at a certain point, it feels like Mark is just putting in immediately because it's his favorite word. Um, I think, it, I don't know if I've said this before, but... Because of his bad grammar and his tendency to say immediately, one of my friends in college said he thought Mark was like a kid telling a story. Oh, oh and then, mm-hmm. oh, and then, oh, and then. And he's just like so excited he just can't even get the words like out. like the apparently kid. Apparently, we go on the spinning wheel, and apparently. Yes, yes, he's found a new word, and he's just got to use it. Well, immediately they left, and immediately he told them. Excellent. All right, what else do you see? What else are you thinking? He seems impressed that the demons know who Jesus is. That's the second time in just a few verses that he's, that's come into the story. Yeah. And specifically this time we're told he don't, doesn't let them speak because they know who he is. Last week we read it and it was like he just told them to be quiet. But we didn't really, it was just kind of like, well, that was odd. Right. Now we're told, oh, no, it's because he doesn't want them to say who he is. What? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's interesting that said they brought all who were sick or possessed. And then it says, and he cured many mm. who were sick. Yeah. I didn't even pick that up. He okay. cast out many demons. But it doesn't say he cured all that were sick or all that had demons. Huh. I don't know. I like that. I didn't even notice <laughs> that. Yeah, so that faith component, right? I think it's here later when he goes to his own hometown and it says he can't perform many miracles because they just didn't have the faith for it. That's interesting. Go, your faith has made you well, right? I like that. All right. All right. That's good. All right. Well, apparently Peter has a mother-in-law. If he has a mother-in-law, that means he has a wife probably. Don't you love how the gospel is just like, oh, by the way, it's beside the point. He's not even trying to tell us about Peter's family life. He just happens to accidentally include that detail, and you're like, wait. It's interesting. The things we think we should know are not always the things that he thinks we should know. What would you say? And it looks like they were at her house, right? Yeah, they're at her house. Yeah. And um, that's interesting, too, because usually, uh, so it looks like she's living with them. Usually, um, now, did it say Peter's house? It did say Peter's house, didn't it? Okay, so that makes sense. Because I was going to say, you, you don't usually see them moving in with the, um, like, the bride moves in with the groom and his family, not vice versa. But she's probably moved in with him. She's probably a widow. That's probably what it is. Okay, that makes sense. Never mind. Never mind. Nothing crazy. Okay, so apparently Peter's house is, like, right there, right? Immediately they went to Peter's. And it is. It's seriously less than several hundred feet from the synagogue. And you can go see Peter's house today. It's still there. Well... Sort of. They built a church on top of it. And so it's, um, 
it, it, it's there. So this is, so like up here is like the beams of the church and they have like a big uh, dome that you can peer down in and see. You, you're really not supposed to go in there, I think, unless you're like Catholic or something, but tourists do it all the time. So if and when we go to Israel and we're in Capernaum, we're going to step in there and look at it anyway. But, um, and this is part of the ruins, but I mean, um, of all the biblical sites that it's like, like, um, for example, the resurrection, there's two sites. It's not clear which one it was. It's probably one of the two, but it's, it's, it's hard to determine. This one, that's, that's pretty sure. Like, cause pretty early on they were like, yeah, it's Simon Peter's house. Um, and there was a church built there. Very early. Not really. No, it's pretty well appreciated that that's Peter's house. Yeah. It's, uh, there's been very little dispute about that, which is interesting because usually there's a ton of dispute. Yeah. It, the church was built there in the 6th century, which that's 600 years or so. That's, that's a little bit, but still historically, like, that's pretty early on on the scene because if they established it in the 6th century saying this is Peter's house, it's been that way since. It's a long time to assume that that's Peter's house. Okay. Uh, apparently, um, Simon might be the only one who's a full proper adult in this group. It's a possibility because Peter uh, later on is the only one apparently who has to pay the temple tax, which is only required of adults. And he is um, the only one that seems to be married, at least that we're told explicitly. Um, also, his brother Andrew lives with him. So he might be like the responsible older brother, especially if their parents had passed away or something. Then he would naturally be the one to take care of him. And we assume he's married. He has a mother-in-law. And then if we're not explicitly told about a wife, are we not explicitly told about kids either? I mean, everybody in that world had kids, tons of kids. So does Peter have kids? I would say probably. Isn't that infuriating, though? Like, what's her name? What's their names? James and John, were they at their house, too? Peter, me, James and John, were that Peter? Oh, yeah, yeah, they're there, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And since they're fishermen, good chance they probably knew each other. Like, the Chosen kind of brings that out, too, like... I mean, it's a small place. Galilee is not big. Like, they, everybody probably knows each other. I think so. It sounds like they did. Yeah, a lot of fishermen do that. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More lucrative, more fish you get, more money you get. Yeah, it makes sense. But, um, yeah, so the extended family often lives together. So um, that was very common. Um, you know, nowadays we get a mother-in-law suite and we act like that's a new thing. That's not a new thing. <laughs> That's a very old thing. It's still very common in this part of the country. Yeah, it is. My, my uh, grandma had a mother-in-law suite built onto my parents' house just recently. So it works out. Um, they told him about her immediately. Okay. That's such a weird way to say that. Um, I, I don't know. It's just interesting. They told him about her immediately. Um, and this is a random thing that you might not care about, but I'm going to say it. Ancient people didn't see the fever as the disease itself, but as a symptom of something else. Like this. And fever can be a symptom of something else even today, but like sometimes the fever itself is the concern, like by itself. They never saw it that way. It was always like pointing to something else. So random fact. Um, he came and took her by the hand. I love that little detail. And you're going to see this over and over and over again in Mark, especially. Whenever he heals people, he just gently takes them by the hand. Later, whenever he raises the little girl from the dead, I love how he's like, come on, come on. You've had a long day. Okay. And he's like, somebody get her something to eat. She was dead. You know what I mean? Like, um, 
it's it's really gentle and it's very um, affirming of their humanity, right? Um, especially in a Jewish uh, culture where you have all these laws related to purity, uh, ritual uh, purity and impurity. You're not really supposed to touch people who are sick, especially with leprosy, dead bodies, anything like that, because that makes you unclean, unable to partake of many of the things in Israel. But notice Jesus touches them, and nobody thinks he's unclean. To the opposite, he makes the unclean clean rather than the unclean making the clean unclean. Yeah? The flow is reversed. You see that? Rather than the impurity being the thing that defiles, the purity is the thing that enriches. And so he's reversing so that the flow. Light into the darkness first yeah. The darkness is not a thing. It's, mm, I like that. Yeah, yeah, darkness doesn't exist. It's the absence of light. Right. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Here's a little bit of trivia for you. Oh, no. My friend calls those fluorescent foods, he calls them dark suckers. <laughs> dark suckers. Well, they got a big dark spot on the end, they're, they're gone out. Okay. So it's sucking the dark out. Sucking the dark out. Okay, what? Well, Kind of I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to sit with that for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's what in Texas we call them hot water heaters. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Not put them hot water bit. heaters. If there, if it was hot water, they would off. They <laughs> wouldn't eat it. It's a cold water heater. Just water. Cold water heater. That. Yeah. Okay. Water heater. Yeah. All right. Whenever you stop and think about the way things are named, yeah. I feel like extremely silly. Like it's an orange. No. The color of it is orange. Yeah. What's the fruit? Yeah. Um, I already said that. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, this is also the first occurrence of the word raised. He raises her up. Uh, is it hot in here? Oh, I thought it was hot. It does feel a little hot. Anyway. anyway I don't know how to work it. I'm the new guy. Um... This is the first occurrence of the word raised in Mark's gospel, which, of course, he's not raising her from the dead. Duh, she's not dead. But it's interesting because just about every time Jesus heals, like, look at all those references. It's scattered pretty far, pretty evenly throughout all the way to the end. Over and over you get these words raised, raised, same word in Greek. It's almost as if each time Jesus heals somebody who's sick in any way, it's a foreshadow of his resurrection, which heals every sickness of every kind and raises everybody to a full status of health and life. And they're getting a foretaste of what is still yet to come. And so it's almost like a, like a teaser. It, it's a, a literary foreshadowing, we'd say, in, in literature class, right? Like, oh, and he raised her. And you're like, well, that's a weird thing to say. Like, okay, she was sitting down, had a fever. You could have just said he made the fever go away, made the fever go bye-bye. But instead it's like he raised her. You're like, well, that's weird. It's kind of a weird vocabulary for something like a fever because you don't want a fever to raise, right? But she raised, not the fever. And so it's kind of like a foreshadowing of Jesus' resurrection, which is the ultimate raising, which therefore makes legitimate all the smaller raisings. Kind of thing. I like the song of Josh Grogan, I think. Okay. Raise me up. Like, like on mountain. Oh, I haven't heard this one. I don't think. I have. I have. I knew it. Shamu. What are you talking about? They always played it when Shamu would jump into his song. It was his song that he... Oh! But I like the Jackson scene. But if you've never been to SeaWorld... It's been a while since I've seen Shamu. It's as soon as I get Free Willy songs. I hear every time. Free Willy. I love Free Willy. 
This is a morning of learning and nostalgia. Yeah. <laughs> my goodness. We're just trying to pull you down. You down. are working hard, my friend. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. Okay. You know, women in that culture, traditionally the servants, men are not. You see this later, like the argument between Mary and Martha. One wants to sit at his feet and learn. One wants to serve. But what's interesting is you keep getting um, service to the servant. Jesus is the suffering servant. Over and over, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He says that in Mark 10. That's like the key verse of Mark. And yet, over and over, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and he continues to be served. Um, There's something about serving the servant. And it's the same word there. Also, the word, uh, it's like diakonos, like deacon. It's where we eventually derive the word deacon. It just means servant. Um, Eventually, it's like a more formal, like deacon, like an official office of the church. But originally, it's just just the word for servant. And um, it could also be implying that she served them financially. It could be that she gave a contribution to Jesus' ministry. Jesus is itinerant. He's poor. seems like there's a lot of wealthy widows that support Jesus' ministry, and they're bankrolling the Jesus Project. Um, is that diakono? Is that the feminine version of diakono? That is the, uh, that's the verb. But um, there, there is a female version, yes. And there is a female deacon mentioned in Scripture. Romans 16, Phoebe, a deaconess. Or we can try to explain that away because we already think we... Know that that's not possible. <laughs> Sorry. Getting down a rabbit hole. Uh, oh, and this is, uh, so earlier the angels were serving Jesus in the wilderness. Same word. They're serving Jesus in the wilderness. And then now she's serving them. And also angel, remember, angel, we, we use the angel like it's a fancy, fancy word. It's really not. Angel means messenger. Now you can capitalize the M and say messenger like a heavenly messenger, like something other than us. Sure. But it's still just the word messenger. And so it's like, well, is she an angel? Well, yeah, she's a messenger. She's certainly a messenger of Jesus. You think she's not going to tell people like, oh my goodness, the fever left me. And he never tells her, don't tell anybody. As opposed to him telling almost everybody else, don't tell anybody. Um, that evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. So this is the summary report over and over again. Mark, you got to love him. He just wants to keep the story moving. He's like, let's not get bogged down in too many details. Let's just keep this thing going. Keep it right on rolling. Uh, I mean, we're only in like halfway in chapter one and notice how much ground he's already covered. I mean, he's, he is rolling right through this stuff because um, Mark says, yeah, he did that. Um, same thing for his teaching ministry over and over again. Mark's like, yeah, Jesus was teaching a bunch. Anyway, you're like, wait, what did he say? And Mark's like, it doesn't matter. He was a great teacher. <laughs> well, I want to know what he said. Um, I wonder if that spurred on the other writers. I think so. so Matthew is probably the next gospel author, and he has huge sections of teaching, like the Sermon on the Mount, three straight chapters of instruction from Jesus, and so I think so. I think I think they thought like, what is Mark doing? What's going to get passed down? We need to yeah fill in the blanks, fill in the details, and remember they steal from Mark, like directly. They just take Mark, put it on their page, and then use a word doc to expand it, or papyrus doc, whatever. Um, uh, oh, and something else I was going to say. The evening marks the beginning of Sabbath. Jewish days begin in the evening and end the next evening. So they don't begin with midnight. They begin with the sun going down. Sunset is the beginning of the new day, and then it goes to the next sunset. So that's why Jews who celebrate Sabbath will celebrate starting 
Friday night at sunset and go till Saturday at sunset. So usually they start and end with a meal, a Sabbath meal. Um, and so they're going to the synagogue probably like Friday night in the evening. Um, or they just left the synagogue perhaps. Um, Mm-hmm. And you know, some people, like before, I'm sure you've heard these ridiculous obsession over tiny details before, but like, they're like, we can't have communion on Saturday night, I said first day of the week, and I'm like, look, 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 she can't work, she can't come to church on Sunday, she's got to work. What's more beautiful? Not taking it at all, or taking it on Saturday with a group of people intentionally? As, Seriously? As often as you do this. As often as you do this. Yeah, that is what it says. How often do they do it? Seems like they took it every day right there at the beginning. Hmm. They wake me at work. I'm working three days a week. And I told Lucy, don't work on weekends. I think she goes on weekends. Yeah. yeah. yeah Absolutely. My friend is celebrate um, ceremonies. Good. I've never heard of ceremonies before. Mm-hmm. It's like a Catholic people do it. But they have one this weekend. Mm-hmm. Cool. Did anybody ever go to the stream in Midland? Midland? Years. The stream? Stream in the desert. Stream, stream in the desert. It's a big seminar for weekends. Oh. And uh, the I Am Jam that's coming up, they're, take, they're doing communion that Friday night. And Church of Christ is in charge, so if anybody wants to lead that, feel free. I can do it. I've talked all the time, so if you <laughs> would like an opportunity to say something meaningful about communion from you, please take the reins. I'm willing to give them away. But the point is that I was yeah, sorry. to make was is that we get hung up on that yes. big time because yes. I actually had an elder do that to me. <laughs> That's sad. That's sad. Yeah, we, we major in the, the minor details. Mm-hmm. Jesus seems a lot more gracious. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, one other thing I wanted to point out, and I'm going to go into more detail about this later, but notice Mark's detailed attention to um, the time of day. Over and over again, he keeps giving us these details about the time of day. And there's only one sunset in the Gospel of Mark, and there is only one sunrise in the Gospel of Mark. Where would you imagine the sunset is? Well, it's, it's at the beginning, right? The sun sets, it's dark. But then eventually the sunrise comes on resurrection morning. I think, I think it's like Mark is saying like at the very beginning the sun goes down and then he's like, man, is the sun ever going to rise? And eventually you get to Jesus and he says, yeah, the new day has dawned. And it's like you're getting there, you're getting closer, you're getting closer. The new day is about to dawn, and with it, resurrection, and with it, an entirely new way of life. Mark is so brilliant. Oh, I love this. And I have more on this in a moment, but I'm just tantalizing you for now. Um, Both in um, three days be, um, before the Passover. Mm-hmm. Did he, did he wait three, three days before the Passover? Uh, after Passover. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Passover would be Friday, and then he raises on Sunday morning. So.
So three days. According to the Jewish calendar. Not our calendar, by the way. Um, oh, the Greek here is really ridiculously redundant. It's like when evening came after sunset. That's like a really awful way to say that. Like, that's awful in English. It's even worse in Greek. Trust me. It's like when evening came after the sun had set. Isn't that when evening usually happened? He's drawing attention to it. Right? Some people have said, well, Mark is just, he's just stupid. He just doesn't understand Greek. And I'm like, well, he probably doesn't understand Greek. But also, he's kind of brilliant. Because what he's doing is, he's trying to get you to see, because if you're reading this originally, you're reading it and you're like, what? But then you slow down and you pay, you lean in and you pay attention to that little detail. And I think he's drawing our attention to it. Especially the word evening, um, which will come up later. Oh, I got that right now. Okay. So... I'm not going to go through each of these because that would take forever. And I'm ridiculously detailed anyway. But uh, you can, you can uh, look at this online, the PowerPoint. I can send it to you again. But um, evening, over and over and over again. Evening, it's late, it's late. All through the Gospel of Mark. Evening, 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 evening. And um, it's fairly evenly spread. Like, look, it starts in 132, goes to 435, 647, 1111, 1119. 13, 35, 14, 15. I mean, there's only 16 chapters in Mark, so it's spread pretty evenly. Again, it's like he's drawing this attention to it. And almost every time that he does the evening thing, it's obnoxious in Greek. It doesn't read well. He's drawing attention to the evening. And then you keep going, and then he has these few references to morning. So like right here in a minute in verse 35, in the morning, oh, but the sun hasn't risen. Well, it was still very, very dark. And so he can reference other parts of the day, but it's always dark. And especially whenever you get to the death of Jesus and it's the middle of the day and darkness came over the whole earth. In Mark, it doesn't say the whole land. Literally, it's the whole earth. The whole earth, which is from a prophecy in Isaiah, by the way. As Isaiah goes, so goes the gospel. Every time. The gospel according to Isaiah. And so, uh, again, a few references to morning, very early. But then eventually you get to the, um, the sunrise in uh, in chapter 16, and it's very early on the first day of the week, and then finally you get that reference to when the sun had risen. Finally, the sun has risen. Um, man, I've got a bunch of stuff in here. Yeah. So I did this on a Wednesday night a while back. David was there. Do you remember this thing, History's yeah. Dawning Light? Uh, I just wanted to show, I just wanted to point out something that, that him drawing on this darkness thing is not him coming up with something out of the blue. The point is, from the very beginning, the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the earth. The darkness is like anti-creation. It's the opposite of the created, ordered, purposeful world. And so, of course, every time the demons are running rampant, every time the people are sick and poor, every time the people don't have the gospel, it's darkness and it's, it's terrible. It's formless and void. Yeah, pre-conversion life, formless and void and dark. Sounds about right. Um, and there's morning and there's evening. Notice that phrase, remember, uh, there's evening and there's morning. Jewish day begins in the evening. That's why the creation story always says evening, morning, evening, morning, not morning, evening, morning, evening. Okay? It says it uh, six times, but how many days are there? Seven. So where's the last one? It's never there. The evening breeze is when Adam and Eve are walking in the garden and you never get the corresponding morning. They're walking in the cool of the day in the garden 
which that's a terrible translation to begin with, but that's a whole other side thing to get on. But they, they're walking in the cool of the breeze or the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God because they had just sinned, and now the morning never rises. Maybe it finally has risen. Mark didn't just come up with this out of the blue. He's drawing on Scripture. He's clearly pointing to some of this. Uh, I mean, it gets really dark really quick. Cain kills Abel. Lamech has two wives. Uh, I mean, he kills everybody by chapter 6. You know what I, I mean? Like, this is not a beautiful... Noah's Ark is not a kid's story, people. Um, the Tower of Babel, the first politicians. That's evil if there ever was one. Um, uh, in Exodus, the whole uh, assembled people, they gather together to slaughter the lamb. What time of day did they slaughter the lamb? Twilight. Twilight. As the sun is going down. Why? Because their sin is dark. Yeah? Um, Proverbs, over and over again, the, little, the youth that the father is trying to instruct in Proverbs, when does he go out to meet this woman of ill intent? In the evening. That's just starting to get dark. Because just as his intentions are getting darker and darker, so is the daylight. Uh, over and over in Psalms, the evening shadow, the shadow of the evening, used over and over and over again in, in Psalms. Isaiah especially draws on this, that, um, that eventually, uh, and is, is this the one that I wanted? Uh, it's the one where it's darkness over the whole earth. That's the one I'm looking for. Nope, that's not it. It's the next one. It's this one. Darkness shall cover the whole earth. Hmm. Mark 14. And it was noon and darkness covered the whole. In Greek, it's not land. It's earth. <coughs> now, the word earth can mean land. So I'm not saying the entire earth was literally dark. I'm saying the word is, Mark's being provocative, right? He's calling on Isaiah. The land was probably dark. It's probably a solar eclipse. The whole earth probably wasn't. A lot of it. They didn't know it was around earth. They didn't know it was around earth. They didn't know it was around earth. But the point is, the whole earth is dark whenever Jesus is crucified. But then the light is coming. Jesus keeps saying, repent, the kingdom of God is near in the morning while it's still very dark. And then eventually... As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation. So, you know, like as it's getting closer to Jesus' resurrection and then darkness over the whole world. And then boom, very early on the morning, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen. You can see how clumsy that phrase is in English, can't you? Very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen. Blah. If you were grading this paper and this was an essay, you would say, redundant, unnecessary, no. And Mark probably failed Greek grammar class, but, but he's not trying to be grammatically correct. He's trying to be theologically correct. He is drawing our attention to it and saying, the sun finally rose, people. Adam and Eve, it's, it's the evening and the sun is going down. And we thought, when will the sun ever rise? And he says, well, it has now. <sighs> okay, I'm done with that. Because <laughs> I could spend forever on, I, I love, love, love that. I just... It, I love, um, I think the New Testament authors, the vast majority of the time, are picking up on things from the Old Testament and they're tracing it beginning to end. And I think our inability to trace a theme biblically from beginning to end impoverishes us theologically. Because this is what they're picking up on. And this is what they're doing with Jesus all the time. Is they're tracing a thread. And there's so many threads that come together to make the tapestry. That is our Lord. Oh. Okay. It's like the time from 
Yes. Yeah, the time change. So whenever I lived in South Carolina, I was an hour ahead of my parents. Thought it would make not that big a difference. It was so confusing. One hour. I can't imagine living on the West Coast. That's awesome. And then um, you walked outside the little chapel, and then you just could look down into this beautiful valley of green, and we took some pictures of the sun mm-hmm. right behind the bright and green. And it's just, just it's beautiful. Just, oh, it's just so beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. You ever been on vacation and watched the sunrise on the beach? Mm-hmm. There's nothing like it. Easter Sunday uh, on the beach, sunrise, and it was gorgeous. It's powerful powerful i was supposed to go to a sunrise communion service in the garden of gethsemane but i had uh, a parasite and so i was watching the arabic simpsons instead <laughs> that's okay hopefully we'll get there oh i bet i've never i want to be i want to go to the grand canyon yeah it's, it's interesting how drawn we are to that anyway right we're drawn to watch the light the darkness we're bored time to sleep it's naturally baked into us. We seek the light. Unless you're in the dark. Unless you're in the dark, yeah. And you know, those places in the world where the time, um, so, so like up in the Arctic Circle, for example, where it gets dark for like six months in a row and then light for six months, they say eventually you get used to the dark, but then the light comes and that's the hardest transition. The hardest transition is not from light to dark, but from dark to light. And I was like, well, that'll preach. Uh, that's in my back pocket for a rainy day right there. I mean, yeah. yeah, absolutely. If you're in the dark long enough, it doesn't bother you. Like those people that live like in the tunnels or something. You seen these things on, on the TV? It's crazy. I can't stand the light. Crazy. Okay. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases. Jesus heals various diseases. This isn't a parlor trick. Charlatans were, I mean, we still have charlatans who are like, hey, Try this new, it's not going to work. It's a parlor trick. It's nothing new. They did this back in the day. They would like, um, it's staged where they have something that it's basically like the equivalent of you have a little eczema and then they give you some cream. They figured out the, oh, you can just put this cream on it. And then they make a big deal out of it like they're doing magic. And it's like, A, it's a scratch. <laughs> it's not like he's decapitated or something and you brought him, you know, it's not, it's not something that dramatic, but they make a big deal out of it. And people are like, Oh, and it's sensational. and It's crazy. But Jesus is healing various diseases, diseases of various kinds. This isn't like, well, I can only heal eczema. You know, this is like, I can hit all sorts of different things and demons as well. So, um, he's the anointed son of God who is inaugurating the kingdom. He's restoring and renewing all of creation. Think of it this way. We always, uh, and, and again, I can't get over how many times we read the Gospels and we're like, well, Jesus healed that guy. Ain't that neat? That's so neat. Wow. All right, let's go home. And it's like, what are you, vacation Bible school? No, he's claiming people back from the darkness. He's given them wholeness and restoration and life. The kingdom is conquering. And we think of that as a violent image. And it's a violent metaphor, but Jesus, when he conquers, there's no casualties, there's conversions. 
when Jesus is conquering in the kingdom, there is not death. There's life and abundantly. And he's conquering and he's bringing them into the kingdom and they're being healed. The demons are being released. Yeah, it's not just about Jesus healing the sickness. That's cool. Wow. It's that he's given them life and abundantly and he's bringing them into the kingdom. It's the gospel according to Isaiah. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Stream in the desert. Um, That's where that came from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Notice the, uh, I just can't help myself. Notice the, the lame shall leap like deer. Okay. Mark chapter 10. I'm preaching Mark chapter 10 this morning. Uh, and I won't have time to point this out this morning, so I've got to point this out now. He heals blind Bartimaeus. Okay. What does blind Bartimaeus do? Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Hopping like a deer. Also, you go to Acts, and whenever they're healing this guy, he hops up, and then after they heal him, he starts dancing. Yeah, and dancing is wrong. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. Jesus makes us dance. Absolutely. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. My mama doesn't dance, and my daddy doesn't rock and roll. Uh, and um, the tongue of the speechless shall sing for joy. That's what we see. Jesus. Again, it's not that, oh, he couldn't talk and now he can talk. Ain't that cool? That's so neat. Wow. That's not it. It's that the tongue that couldn't praise the Lord God that made it now can. It's that the feet that couldn't dance and experience the joy and connection and worship of, of using the body that God gave them, now they can. There's so much more going on than simply, wow, ain't that neat. It's neat. Fine. But you're not in vacation Bible school anymore. There's more to the story. Uh, I'm going to try to launch and make a little bit more progress. Um, I'm going to read this one so we can keep it going. In the morning, while it was still very dark. Yeah. I'm telling you, now you're going to read Mark and be like, oh, oh, there it is. Yeah. He got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. And when they found him, they said to him, well, everyone's searching for you. And he answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. What do you notice? He came out. Say that again? He came out? What do you mean? Well, that's what I noticed. I can't, that's what I came out to do. Ah. They find him. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You came out to the desert to preach? What are you, John the Baptist? <laughs> ha! I, like I hadn't even noticed that before. I like that. All right, what, what were you saying, Alan? I don't remember that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sure it was brilliant. It'll come back around. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, they're hunting for him, and that's an interesting word. I'd like to look that up and see what the language is, because I don't, I don't know off the top of my head. I'd have to research. Hunting for. I wonder if that's like, I wonder if that's actually the word for like what we think of as hunting, because they had some forms of that. I don't know. May not be. They just 
telling everyone is searching for you. Who's everyone? Well, all the people that want to be healed, apparently. Yeah. All the people that want to hear it. So, he must have gone, he must be like hiding if you're hunting for him. He's I was about to say, I mean, you know, Jesus is just as much man as we are, and or woman, but he, he's, he's just as human as we are. He's exhausted. The entire town is doing this and searching for him. I mean, he's exhausted. I get exhausted after a Sunday preaching in front of 30 people. I can't imagine what Jesus is doing. I mean, yeah. It's kind of also where when Mary and Joseph were looking for him Ooh. in the temple. Yeah. He was in the temple. It was kind of like they were, everyone was searching for him. Huh. So that's a theme in the Gospels then. Hunting for Jesus, searching for Jesus. Where's Jesus at? That's interesting. And that's even more interesting because how many people are brushing shoulders with Jesus? Just like, yeah, oh, hey, how's it going, man? You know, as opposed to the people who are like, wait, do you realize who this is? Like, I I always go back to the story uh, of the woman that reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. Jesus is brushing shoulders with everybody. And if you've grown up in church, you've probably brushed shoulders with Jesus plenty of times. But how many are reaching out? Just the garment. Just the edge of the cloak. Probably the tassel. Because he's Jewish. Right? I think in some some ways it's when, when it's hard to accept Jesus is that you're you've built up this perception because your whole life you've been learning about yes the Messiah the, and and so you build up this image mm-hmm. and it's really not that and, mm-hmm. and so then it's like wait that's not what I know it's going to be and so. Mm. It's the gospel according to Peter. Yes. No, Jesus, that's not how yes. this works. The Messiah doesn't get crucified, dummy. Yeah. No. Jesus defines what it means for him to be the Messiah. That's good. And I just want to point out, let us go on to neighboring towns so that I may proclaim, preach the message. What did Jesus come to do? Well, of course he came to die, to resurrect. But certainly before then, he came to preach. Just saying. So for anyone who would like to diminish the value of the preaching. <laughs> no, I mean, preaching has fallen on hard times, right? Like, preaching is not as valued as it once was. And I think that the, there's a place for the proclamation of the gospel. That, that's my thing, is, is not just preaching like that's my job, but I mean like the act of preaching itself, I think, is something profound and beautiful that has its origins in Jesus. And before then, too, but mainly Jesus. He's the fountainhead of all Christian preachers. Beth, a comment. You say there's a difference between teaching and preaching? Or I would. I, my sermons are very teachy, but that's because of my tradition. Churches of Christ have very teachy sermons the majority of the time. If I don't point out something that they might not have seen before, then they're going to riot. <laughs> and then if I also don't make it really applicable, they're going to riot. So you have to have both for us. But say preaching as opposed to Yeah. Well, how about this? I think all preaching has a teaching element, but not all teaching necessarily has a preaching element. Or I would say it this way. If I'm teaching and I'm in the classroom, it'd be like 75% pedagogy, 25% like proclamation, right? Because even like right now, I'm going off on these little, these little stumps. And so it's like, it's a class, 75%, but then there's also that uh, proclamation aspect as well, right? But then whenever I'm up here preaching, it's more like, it's more like 75, 80% proclamation and just a little bit of the the teaching or the interaction part, right? So I, I think they just kind of go like this. But I think they're closely related. Oh, great, yeah. Now, now you're going to be back there and you're going to go like this, like, oh, yeah, okay, I got it. Okay. I don't think it was as, uh, teaching, teaching, like, uh, build your knowledge of, of to, that you live from. Yes. Preaching is, okay, here's how you now apply that. 
It's application focused. Well, in class, you have the opportunity for somebody to say, "Say what? Yeah. That's stupid. What's that mean? You know." But in the sermon, you got one shot, uh-huh. and it, it uh, it's the craft of the storyteller. Is really what it is. Like you write for the ear, not for the eye. They can't go back and reference this later unless it's recorded. But even then, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people aren't going to go back and reference it. How can I say it in just the right way that this afternoon they're going to say whatever the point was right there? Mm-hmm. And that's part of it. It's it's it sounds terrible. It's um it's brainwashing. <laughs> How can I get this embedded in you? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Conditioning and proclamation, yeah. But there's also the, like, in the moment of preaching, there's, there's this hush that falls over. And it's like, even though I'm here, it's almost as if I'm stepping out of the background and you're hearing from the Lord. We're reading the Word, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's, thus says the Lord, right? Like, the prophets used to do. I mean, it's like, it's this holy moment. It's like, oh, shaking in my boots, you know. Kid starts talking, you're like, shh, shut up. You know, and so it's like, this is sacred and serious. I think there's that um, exalted aspect to it, sacramental in a way. <sighs> this is good. I love, love, love. I know I can't say it enough. I love the way our brother Mark tells the story of our Lord. Let me have the honor of praying us out, and then we can go hit the buffet table that Geneva made. <laughs> Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we give you thanks. We give you praise. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, the fun and the family and the laughter that we are having in this Bible class. Um, Thank you for uh, random digressions that bind us closer together. And thank you for wonderful insights that I am learning from from my fellow believers, things that I never would have noticed before. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Uh, We ask that you help us to follow your son, Jesus, in all things. Thank you for this study, but if we don't follow him, it doesn't matter. Help us to follow Jesus. We love you. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Text and Context podcast. If you're interested in some other great content, then you can go over to my website. It's txtandcontxt.com. It's Text and Context without E's in it. So again, that's txt. A-N-D-C-O-N-T-X-T dot com. Head on over there and check out a bunch of free resources and plenty of articles about a wide range of topics, as well as book reviews and plenty more. Thank you for listening.